Welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers, giving you the motivation and inspiration you need to make the most of your later years. Whether you're still in the planning stages or you're several years in, we'll share stories from boomers who refuse to act their age and continue to live a life inspired. Let them show you how being old can be new if you know what to do with your host, Terry Lorbeer. Hello and welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is Betsy Wurzel. Betsy is a retired licensed practical nurse and preschool teacher's aide. Her husband, Matt, was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's in 2010. Matt's journey changed her life forever, and so she became an advocate. Betsy is the creator and founder of Kick Alzheimer's Ass Movement Group on Facebook. I love that name. That's great. No one should ever walk this journey alone during caregiving or after caregiving. Alzheimer's took her husband, Matt, but she became a better person. Welcome, Betsy. How are you today? Oh, thank you for having me, Terry. I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. And I'm so happy to have you with us today. So tell us the story of your husband, Matt, when he was diagnosed and then the journey of you becoming his caregiver and advocate. Sure. Um, my, my first forte, if you will, on uh, Alzheimer's was my mother-in-law, Matt's mom mm-hmm. had Alzheimer's. We took care of her for five years. Matt's grandmother had Alzheimer's, but it wasn't called that back in 1980. Right. Matt, his grandmother lived with his um, parents and, you know, we just thought it was senile. We thought it was funny, you know, when she said, oh, I know Dr. Spock from Star Trek, (laughs) but um, never heard of the word Alzheimer's. I was a licensed practical nurse back in the, when I went to school back in 75, 76, Alzheimer's was not mentioned. Mm other things. Um, and so I had no idea when my mother was diagnosed, what is Alzheimer's? And I said, she took me to Alzheimer's school. There wasn't much information 22 years ago, Terry. I had to learn on my own. Wow. I see mm. caregivers now in a way, because there's so much information out there and I'm a Jersey girl. So I say it straight up. You need to educate yourself and there's no excuse now. There's no excuse for caregiver not to be educated. Um, you have to do the work. And thankfully, there's an information highway now. Even 12 years ago, when Matt was diagnosed with early onset, there was not the information available that there is now. Mm. You get diagnosed, but there is no, there's no guidance. No, the neurologist doesn't tell you what to do. I believe that has changed, at least with the neurologist I go to. So thank God for that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, some doctors' attitudes have not changed. And that annoys me. That's not good. Um, My late brother, who died last year, had memory problems. And then his neurologist had the attitude, oh, well, we'll just wait and see. And um, my mom, of course, would not let me talk to the neurologist because she was afraid probably I, I would embarrass her because <laughs> I have a big mouth. <laughs> right. um, but Matt started, I started seeing a difference in Matt at home. Looking back, Terry, he probably started in 07, 08 showing signs. 
And what kind of signs do you see in the very beginning? Because I know they're very subtle and a lot of people miss them. And these are things we need to pay attention with our husbands and parents. If your parents are still alive, because they're subtle, but the earlier you catch it, the better. Correct. That's true. That's true. Like you don't think of it. Right. Uh, Matt was always scatterbrained. He was always, you know, forgetful, Mm -hmm. but he was forgetting his lunch, his keys. Um, he forgot how to go somewhere. Okay. There was construction. You hadn't been there in a year. You know, you kind of like, um, don't think anything about it. Right. That's a red flag because in your fifties, even with construction, you wouldn't forget. So that's kind of a red flag, but again, you're not thinking, you're not thinking Alzheimer's and you, and because you're not expecting it at his age. So you kind of say, Oh, you know, it's just something different, but for the people listening, that is a red flag. Pay attention. Getting lost and not knowing where you are are real big red flags. Yes. And 12 years ago, Terry, they didn't talk about early onset. No. Doctors did not recognize early onset. I had a fight for Matt's diagnosis, which I'll get into. But um, he forgot where the uh, recyclables were. He was putting in, in New Jersey, we have separate uh, container. Or recyclables, and he was putting regular like recyclables in regular garbage. Um, he forgot about doctor's appointments. He it was really weird. They were um, adding a left lane to turn. Matt lived in this area his whole life. He went around. He avoided that because it confused him. And I said, Matt, why does it confuse you? You just go straight. I right. didn't know at the time. Didn't think anything of it. No, you don't. Because again, these are the little subtle clues that if you're not paying attention, you're going to miss it. If you know to look for it, it's one thing, but most of us don't, even with our own parents, we don't know to look for it. But these are little subtle clues. And if there's one or two here and there, not a big deal. But when they start adding up, right, that's when you know there's a problem. And unknown to me, where Matt worked, and thankfully, they were very nice. He was starting to show signs at work, not remembering how to do his job. He made big mistakes. Thankfully, his company did not fire him. Yeah, you're very fortunate. Yes. And Matt didn't tell me he was having a problem at work. I asked him, how are you managing at work? And he would answer me. Well, and and I'd like to say one thing. Alzheimer's patients will cover up, cover up, cover up, cover. They will never tell you. So you, because when my father first got dementia, he was making excuses and laughing it off. And like you, in the beginning, it was very hard to see because they are masters at covering it up because they're embarrassed and they're, 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 you know, they're, they're the one that has the disease and they're afraid. So my father, it took us a long time to figure it out because he would just laugh it off and cover it up. And But these are clues that you have to pay attention to. Yes. Oh, and I should also add my dad also had dementia, mm-hmm. uh, but he was in his 80s. Yeah, my and, father too, much later. So, um, And there wasn't, you know, much information. Matt's first MRI wow. was abnormal, showed global shrinkage. His first EEG, the brain waves was abnormal. It said suggestive of dementia. So I took him to the neurologist. Now, I didn't know what was going on at work because they couldn't tell me because of the HIPAA laws. um, So 
the his Matt's primary mm. doctor blew me off. Matt happened to be in the hospital in 09. And I said, he's having memory problems. He, oh, no, that couldn't be. I was in oh. the hospital in November of 09 for two weeks. And when Matt called me to say, I need money. And I said, well, oh. write out a check. Matt said, I didn't know how. And right. I got mad. I was like, what do you mean you don't know how? So I told him how. And then our son, Josh, told me, he said, mom, dad didn't, didn't know how to order right. at McDonald's. I had to help him order. I said, what do you mean, Josh, that he didn't know what uh, what, mm. what to do? Now, you're talking about a man in his 50s. So that people do recognize that's the problem. When mm. someone's in their 80s and that happens, I think people think, well, he's just, you know, forgetting. They're not thinking it's dementia or Alzheimer's. And the earlier you get them help, the better. So yes. I think with your husband, that your son knew, no, this is a huge yes. problem. And uh, what a mess I came home to. <laughs> but um, <laughs> <laughs> you poor thing. <laughs> um, I, I was just shocked of how doctors were so um, arrogant and ignorant. They are. They are. Matt was agreed. Yes. Matt was tested by neuropsychologists and she accused Matt of being non-compliant during testing. Oh my gosh, non-compliant. Oh my gosh. That's said, ridiculous. And of course I told Matt before, be cooperative. I know how Matt could, could be. And he said right. that I was cooperative. I didn't remember. Now, if someone's coming to you for memory loss, why don't you believe them? Right. Right. And they don't think it's possible. They really don't understand. I bet there's thousands or hundreds of thousands of people with early onset dementia, but doctors haven't caught up to that yet. So they're not they're, They don't, they don't believe it. They just they don't. don't. Sorry. And it's frustrating. Nope. Um, Matt was diagnosed. And a lot of times this happens, Terry, they're misdiagnosed for depression and treated for that. Well, Right. Uh, no surprise, they're depressed. Who wouldn't be? You can't do your job. You're forgetting. It's right. scary. Right. I would be depressed. I think absolutely hand in hand. So the antidepressants weren't working. Matt's company <laughs> called me in to a meeting. This is how Matt didn't even know. He said, uh, "Betsy, um, Margaret from Human Resources is coming, and they want you to to come to a meeting." And I said, "Why?" I said, I bet they're going to ask you to leave. Oh, no, no, no. I said, Matt, why would Margaret come all the way from Connecticut to see how you're doing, which she could pick up a phone and ask you? So, um, <laughs> yeah, that's what happened. I was the first person to sit on a disability hearing. They put Matt out on short-term disability, and then he went out on long-term. They knew he had a problem. His right. Well, thank God they did that instead of just firing yeah. him. They put him on disability so he had some income because he's a young man. He's thinking he's working to 65 or 70. Yeah. And here he is on disability. I was, we were really, Terry, so fortunate. Um, you were because many companies would not do that. Right. They wouldn't. Um, you know, Matt worked with for them for 14 years. So they knew something was wrong. His company. Now, mm -hmm. this is really something. His company doctor who I don't know, she saw him in person or just talked to him on the phone, Matt never told me that he talked to a company doctor, suspected dementia, didn't have a test in front of her, never saw his MRI to 
She wow. just. Wow. Wow. She knew. knew. Yep. She was hoping it would yep. be. But so right. um, when I found out what was going on at work, I mean, I just started crying in, in the office. Um, I, oh, mom. I said, yeah. Matt, do you remember any of this? He's like, no, but if they say so, he didn't remember. Yeah, that's home, a shame. He, he didn't remember. And I said to the human resource person, I said, why didn't you tell me? Oh, the HIPAA laws, Matt could sue us. I said, well, why didn't you ask him? Right, for permission. I said, right. you mean to tell me you would rather him be a danger than to tell me? Um, right. Blown, I was so devastated and blown away. But, yeah. you know, I went to the doctor, went to the neurologist, and I went to three of them. He's too young. He's too young. He can't have Alzheimer's. I said, I'm telling you, oh. he has Alzheimer's. So one right. day, Matt said to me, uh, what time is it? It was a Sunday. Matt was a Sunday school teacher. And I and Matt was a jokester. So I didn't know if he was kidding around. And I said, um, <laughs> what do you mean? What time is it? He goes, what time is it? I said, well, you're wearing a watch. Do you know how to tell time? Or did you forget? He said, I don't know how to tell time. I said, well, that's not depression. So we, when we went back to the neurologist, I said, listen, he doesn't know how to tell time. That is not depression. He has Alzheimer's. Thankfully, he had it in his family. So I knew. I said his mom had. Exactly. Right. And the doctor should have been asking questions about family history. I mean, that's nuts not to and ask And the doctor that. knew because he treated the mother-in-law. He treated Matt's mom. But, <laughs> there you, yeah, but go. you know, back in, 19, I mean, 2010, I guess they didn't have a clue about early onset. So I had to learn, you know, on my own. But it's very frustrating when doctors don't listen and they don't believe you. And this right. is where I became an advocate. Uh, when I got my smartphone, I get clubbed. I get emotional. Um, yeah. I went out in my car and I would show Matt's picture. And I'd say, this is the new mm. face of Alzheimer's. It can happen at any age. Don't think that, it's your 70 or 80-year-old. Yeah. It's now your 50-something, right. your 40-something. Educate yourself. Be aware. And then I started doing... Uh, caregiving videos. <laughs> and I always wanted someone to discover me <laughs> or to <laughs> interview me. Nobody, nobody in New Jersey would give me the time of day for an interview. Oh my God. <laughs> and um, Jeannie White, who's station manager, Passion World Talk Radio, saw one of my videos, contacted me. This is in 2018. And um, I did a video, uh, me in the interview, and then she was starting a weekly show and for caregivers and asked me if I would speak. And I said, yes. And then after a year, she said, Betsy, I think you should have your own show. And I said, I can't do that. <laughs> I can't interview. <laughs> I don't know how. She said, you'll learn. And um, I Exactly. Did. You'll learn like I did. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I had to get credit. Uh, I said, Jeannie White discovered me. And Lillian Caldwell, who's the CEO of Passion World Talk Radio, would send me press releases and got me out of my comfort zone. But um, good for her. I thought yep. that, you know, I had to turn my anger into a positive energy or it would destroy me. Right. And once I joined support groups and I got on Facebook 2014, I discovered I'm not alone. There's other people 
who feel the same way. Absolutely. And yep. a lot of people, Terry, like my group is private. They go underground because they don't want to be judged for saying, yep. you know, caregivers really stink at times. Not that you don't love your loved yep. one, but it, it's it's difficult. It's difficult because one of the things I think you'll say is they some of them get very angry and combative. So it's hard for the caregiver. Like the person you love is now angry with you and reaches out. I mean, my father did near the end. He would hit the nurses, punch them. He was never like that. He was so gentle his whole life. But Alzheimer's changes your personality yes. as well. Yes, that's what happened with my mother-in-law. She was a very quiet yes. woman. And all of a sudden she became this <laughs> a witch. But you know what? I didn't know 22 years ago, 20 years ago, what I know now about sunshine, right. hallucination. Right. Uh, she attacked right. me, um, yep. locked me out of the house. And I'm so glad that I educated myself, Terry. So when I started yes. to hallucinate, I knew how to deal with it. I knew what to do. Good for you. Good for you. Yep. It's really important to educate yourself because you're with them all the time. You know more than anybody else. And you have to be able to communicate that to the doctors and nurses. And like you say, a lot of them aren't listening. They're really not. But the more information you can give them, yes. the better. And I tell people, you know, learn from my mistakes. Um, I was very surprised when people actually responded to my videos because I didn't think anybody would listen. <laughs> um, <laughs> Difficult. Um, I was overwhelmed, really. Right. Um, I was saying what what people were thinking, but they wouldn't say it. But I yes. am my father's daughter, <laughs> a Jersey girl, and I just and you're a Jersey girl. They speak out. I know all about Jersey girls. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would just, you know, say, get your head out of your butt and educate yourself, and. Talk about the, the nitty gritty of caregiving, you know, the yep. guilt that caregivers feel, uh, the unjustified guilt that we feel. Definitely unjustified. Definitely. Um, I didn't think I would have it, but I did. And, you know, self-care, self-care. I, I have to tell this to the audience. Self-care, folks, is a matter of life and death. Your life. If right. you want right. to live to enjoy life after your loved one's journey and you have every right to enjoy your life, you need to do self-care and not just self-care. What I mean by that and the soul care, take care of your soul and do what feeds your soul. Yes. You can thrive during caregiving. I did. If I could do it, anyone could do it. Yeah. And it's difficult. It's, it's one of the most difficult journeys. I mean, yeah, there's so I mean, I didn't have my father in my care every day. He was in a home, so I would go and visit, but I didn't have to take care of him day and night. That would have been horrendous. It was tough. It was my son and I um mm. who took care of Matt. I did get hospice in in um uh, my husband died January 1st, 2020. Matt went on hospice on that Thanksgiving weekend. Um uh, I um, want to tell the audience. You need to um, research hospice. Don't wait till the last minute like I did. Get someone, if you could afford it, to help you navigate that process. Hospice, the hospice I had was a hospice from hell. You have to be an advocate for yourself and your loved one. 
This yes. hospice did not listen to me. Uh, they were nasty. Mm. I thought they would help. I would told them that Matt was dying. They didn't believe me because he was still, well, they said walking, shuffling. Um, I said, he's at the end of life. They said, no, he's not. I said, yes, he is. And I, I even told the hospice nurse, educate yourself and think outside the box. Because not everyone is going to fit right. what you think is a textbook picture right. of someone dying. Absolutely not. It's funny because my brother was dying of cancer and I took him to a hospice um, and took him through. He was in a wheelchair at that point, but he was still he could get up and walk around. And they said, well, he can't come in yet because he has to be within six weeks of dying. Well, he was dead within six weeks. So that, that only goes to show they can't tell. How would they know whether that person is six weeks within dying? or They have no way to know. So we took him home. My sister was able to keep him at her house house and he died at her house, not peacefully. Cause you know, when, when you have cancer, his lungs were filling with liquid and it was really, really hard because he was gasping for breath, but the hospice the, wouldn't take him. He's not close enough to death yet. Like you said, they don't know. They, they think everyone's the same and, and we're not, they should know that by now. We're That's all different. True. And, uh, you know, I, I think Terry is, um, more young people, uh, get diagnosed with some kind of dementia, they're not going right. to fit a textbook picture right. of what they, whatever they think is a textbook picture. I knew right. when Matt went up to the hospice unit in the hospital, I knew he went up there to die. Right. But right. they didn't know that. And I called the hospice up and I said that the medicine was not working. They would give him more of the same. They didn't even come out when he fell. He fell. They want to come out. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Uh, what happened was the social worker who was nasty came to my house, oh. accused me of giving the medication wrong, made it was that it was my fault, told me I called up too much, and I let her have it. Mm. Um, yeah. I said, listen, do not talk to me like I'm stupid. I'm a licensed practical nurse. Right. I know how to get medication. So change your attitude right. and change the tone of your voice with me. Good for you. Good for you. Not only that, I said, I will call you up as much as I want. I am my husband's advocate. And if he is agitated and medicine's not working, why are you giving more of the same? And I told her that Matt had a headache. She had the nerve to tell me he couldn't have one. That it was. How does she know he couldn't have one? That's ridiculous. That it was the Seroquel. Well, what happened was um, it was the weekend before Christmas. And I called up the hospice. I said, Matt's agitated. He's not, not working. I gave him the medicine they told me to. He talked that whole night, fell out of bed. I called up the hospice. Mm. I said, Matt fell. His medicine didn't work. Are you going to come out and assess him? You know what she told me? The nurse said to me, what? I don't know. What? Oh my gosh. Oh said, my gosh. What do you mean you don't know? I said, okay. I said, let me tell you what I know. I said, I'm <laughs> going to call you. Every minute till you know what you are going to do. But between that, I'm calling up your regional director and I'm going to complain. I'm calling up Medicare and I'm placing a complaint against this hospice. She said, oh, don't do that, Mrs. Sloan. Sloan is my married name. I'll call up my nurse manager. And later on, he went up to the hospice unit. Two days later, they're telling me, oh, Betsy, now we see what you're talking about. Oh, my God. He had a one-to-one. -one. He, they had someone sitting with him. 
then right. why would you think I'm making this up? I went into yeah. the director's why? office. I called up the director of hospice, told her I wasn't happy. She said she wanted to meet with me. And I told her, I am not happy. This is unacceptable. She said she had the nerve to say to me, I'm sorry, Betsy. Apparently somebody dropped the ball. I said, my husband is not a ball. I said, right. you wouldn't accept this. I know you wouldn't accept this treatment if it was your husband. Nobody on the floor right. would. Why do you expect me to accept it? I'm not accepting right. this is incompetence at its highest. I said, there's no way someone should have to go through what I went through to get help. I said, the hospital right. supposed to be compassionate and caring. Even that. What I no. thought, even the chaplain argued with me. Oh, wow. That's nuts. Well, I'm glad you stood up for him, though, and stood up for yourself because so many women are afraid to do that. But you have to. You mm -hmm. won't get good service if you don't. That's what advocates do. You keep fighting and standing up for them because they can't. They can't. That's right. And, you know, I speak up for again. So <laughs> nobody should ever be treated like that. They no. hear how they treat people with dementia. I come to that conclusion. I, I complained to Medicare and the, the state New Jersey Health Department. And they said, oh, they didn't violate anything. I said, you mean to tell me someone falls, they don't come out and that's okay? Because I don't think so. They right. don't, I, it's sad, but they don't care. They think they could treat people with uh, mental disabilities and with dementia any way they want. Well, not when it's my yep. family member. Yep. It's true that they, they really don't care. And that goes for mental illness across the board. People that have mental illness do not get the help they need. They don't. A few do, but very few. It's so hard. And it takes a family member, all of their energy to advocate and help them. And the person that has mental illness can't help themselves. So it's a huge problem we have in the United States, huge. And now the baby boomers are getting older. The Alzheimer is going to get worse mm -hmm. and worse to deal with. And if they're not getting the care they should be getting it, yeah, it's hard. It's very hard. We have to speak up. Yes. When there's yes. justice and don't worry Absolutely. about what people think. Um, my mom was like, you know, after Matt died, oh, stop talking about it. I'm not going to bring Matt back. I'm not doing it to bring Matt back. I'm doing it so they don't treat anyone else like this. Exactly. And you know what? It's important to talk about it so other people are aware of what's happening. Like we talked about those early indications. You won't pick that up unless that's in your head from somebody else. Like if when it just happens to you, it'll go right over your head. It went right over mine. It took a while until they kept building. And then all of a sudden you're like, no, there's something wrong here. This is not just a, an older person forgetting this is dementia or Alzheimer's. This is serious. We've got to get him help. So the more people can hear other people's stories, the better, because how else are we going to know? The doctors and nurses aren't going to tell you. You've got to do your own um, studying and learning about dementia. You really do. Exactly, Terry. Um, we need to tell our stories. I feel as a veteran yes. caregiver, it's my responsibility to help the new caregivers navigate these yes. borders. And I created and founded hashtag kick Alzheimer's ass movement. So no one ever has to walk their journey alone during caregiving or after, because after caregiving is a whole nother story. True. 
True. And we absolutely, need, you know, to share our stories. Um, I told that social worker, I had a meeting with her in the hospital and I told her, you need to listen to caregivers. We know our loved ones better than you do. Don't right. tell me, don't tell anyone they can't have pain. People with dementia right. have pain. Uh, why do you absolutely. think they don't have pain? They're human beings. Yeah. Does anyone know right. how a dying brain feels? I don't think so. Right. No, I don't think so. <laughs> and I don't think so. You know, these medications that they have are for um, people with mental health disorders. They don't know how it works for a dying brain. And they're a black box for people that are 65 and older. Right, right. And they have a lot of side effects uh, to them. And I was just very um, disappointed with the care that we had uh, when they thought, <laughs> this is kind of funny, I can laugh at it now. Christmas Eve, one of the social workers called me and said Matt was going home that weekend. I said, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> I said, how can he go home when he's still on IV medication and still medicated? And she said, calm down, Mrs. Sloan. We're going to monitor him. You know, we're going to give him medicine by mouth. And I said, let me tell you something. You let me know when you give him medicine by mouth and I'll monitor him myself. And if I don't think he's safe for discharge, I refuse his discharge. I will not take him home. She said, you can't do that. I said, try me. I know my exactly. rights. I know Matt's <laughs> rights. I will call Medicare up so quick. Yeah. I said, I have a right to refuse his discharge. Oh, the doctor has to sign off. I said, I don't care what the doctor has to do. I'm telling you what I'm going to do. Right. Um, Good for you. And then I went into the director of hospice and I said <laughs> to her, I don't think Matt's going to go home. But if he does, I'm going to tell you this, Carmela. So help me if an RN doesn't come out when I want one to. My next call is to your CEO of this hospital. And don't think I won't do it. I'm not yep. the one you want to play with. Yep. She gave me her business card and said, call me 24-7. <laughs> call me first. Don't call this. Please don't call the CEO. Oh, my gosh. But you have to speak out. You have to. You have to keep pushing because... If you don't, nothing will happen. And and the more squeaky wheels there are, the better for all of us. It will improve the care down the road for the next patient. But if everyone just sits there and doesn't say anything, nothing will change. True. Very yeah. true. You know, it's it's so true. You know, it's, it might be generational. Like um, my mom right. wouldn't speak up. God bless her. She's right. in the 90s. But when my brother went to a neurologist, you know, she didn't question him. See, I would have questioned him. Right. Uh, she wouldn't have. And she didn't want me to be on the phone with him because, you know, I'm an embarrassment. <laughs> right. Well, she's of the generation that they trusted doctors 1,000%. Right. They never questioned them. But we've learned that we have to question that they don't know everything. There's so much information out there. How can they know everything? They can't. So if you don't question it, they're not thinking either. Sometimes something goes right past them as well. But if you question and ask things, then they start thinking a little bit more too. So it's important to question. Yes. And that's primary doctor. <laughs> Betsy, I knew, I know you were an advocate. I know. And I right. told him about the hospice. He said he was going to call up. He knew there was people, the nursing staff coming into my room to see who I was. Who is this woman? I want to see her. 
<laughs> I love it. When I say they right, are a right. petite, <laughs> right. with a big mouth. And, um, you know, you don't disrespect my family. Yes. You don't disrespect me because I'm a mama bear. I told that director of hospice, I'm a mama bear. Yep. Do not disrespect me and my family and think you're going to get away with it. Good. Because, you know, I mean, my claws are going to come out. Good. I love it. More claws need to come out. They will change if we make them change. But if we just sit back and don't say anything because we think it's respect for them, but it, but they're not respecting you and your loved one. So if you don't fight back, nothing will ever change. So I love it that you fought back. I think it's fabulous. True. And actually, Terry, I forgot to mention, I started to be an advocate and I didn't know I was right. with my son who has special needs. I had to be an advocate for him and fight for him because if I didn't, no one else was going to. Yep. I didn't think of being an advocate then. The the word wasn't around at that time. Right. But, you know, knowledge is power, folks. So that already got you started having a special needs son. So you knew that you had to fight for things or your husband wasn't going to get it because you knew from your son with special needs, you got to fight for everything. They don't just hand you anything. You're constantly fighting for your special needs children as well, which is sad, but it's true. So you got a good education there. And so when it had, when your husband was diagnosed, you knew what you had to do. Right. I did, um, you know, fight all uh, from the beginning to the end. Yep. Yep. Constant fighting. And, You know, you're so stressed out. Who needs that extra aggravation? Oh, I know. But you have to do it. You have to do it. Absolutely. You know, it takes a village of support for a caregiver. Yep. You know, get the support. There's too many caregivers dying before their loved one, getting sick after their loved one dies. Yep. Uh, And that's why self-care, I say, is a matter of life and death. You know, everyone has a right to enjoy life. Right. I, people say, Betsy, what do you mean by kick Alzheimer's ass? <laughs> well, I'll tell you how I kicked Alzheimer's ass. I didn't let it destroy me. Don't give this disease any more power than what it has. Yes. Every occasion. It's okay that your loved one doesn't remember. Mm-hmm. First person I can remember. Celebrated right. it. I'm right. glad I did. Yep. I'm glad I celebrated everything. And I celebrate Matt's life now. His birthday, I get a cake and I get candles. And I honor his life. Good for you. That's excellent. That's excellent. And and that will help so many other people. So so you um, started a podcast and you talk about caregiving and, and, and what it's like and you talk to other caregivers. So tell us a little bit about your podcast so other people can hear that as well. Yes, my podcast is Chatting with Betsy on Passionate World Talk Radio. It's also on many different platforms, Spotify, Spreaker, um, all over the place. You just it's on Google. Apple. I found it on Apple, Apple. So it's there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. Just Google Betsy Wurzel. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you could go on Passionate World Talk Radio's website, which is passionateworldtalkradionetwork.com. You could see my page. I started to interview caregivers and Lillian Caldwell got me out of my comfort zone. And I started to interview uh, authors, I, doctors, CEOs. I interview now anybody about any topic. Excellent. Excellent. I love it. And um, chatting with Betsy is about helping other people, providing resources that I wish I knew about 
talking about what people think are taboo, but it's not. Right. We need to talk about death and dying and being prepared for end of life, preparing for end of life. These, This is real, folks. This is it's, real life issues. Absolutely. And for boomers, it's even more real for us. I mean, he was very young, but when you get into the 70s and 80s, you know, anything can happen. So you need to be prepared. So that's excellent. So Yes. Um, I think, Terry, that us kick-ass boomers are going to change the way of uh, how we want to be treated. Absolutely. I agree. Yep. You know, I don't, I think the hippies of yesteryear are going to do a revolution and you're going to see smaller homes popping up because baby boomers don't want to be warehoused in a big facility. They want these smaller group homes. Right. Absolutely. um, Like a golden girl situation. Yep. You're going to see a lot of that. Yep going on. Yeah. It's funny. Cause I interviewed a woman from Canada who rents out her home to people and they weren't only older people. She would open it to anyone, but she was doing that for years. She had like three or four people living with her all the time. So it was very similar to golden girls. And, mm-hmm. you know, some of the people, you know, they would cook together in the kitchen and became really good friends. So it is a good situation. Um, so things are going to change a lot, I think, for us boomers. And we want change. We're going to we're going to make people change. We're going to fight like you fought so that when things happen, we're going to fight for the rights that we have and, and our loved ones have. And we're going to be advocates. So I think that's so important. So thank you, Betsy, for being my guest on Kick Ass Boomers today. You gave us so much helpful information and it's all information that We should be hearing and learning ahead of time. And then if we're faced with the situation, now we know where to go to get even more information. But it's important to be prepared, like you said. So your information has been wonderful. I really loved having you as a guest. So thank you. Well, thank you for having me on. I love being on uh, your show. I love the name of your show. And um, thank you. Um, I'm honored. it, It was fun. Thank you. It's been great. It was it was a lot of fun and yet a lot of really, really helpful information. So thank you very much, Betsy. You're welcome. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick-Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest, along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com. And don't forget to join our Kick-Ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old.